All right, how are we doing, y'all? You guys want to meet Piper? Okay, I figured. Come here, baby girl. Come here. Can you give him a big wave? Ready? You are the gnome. Can you say hello? Can you say hi? What is your wave? You blow kisses? <laughs> All right, go get mama. Where is she? Where's mama? Mama? Oh, okay. It's like, All right, I preached this whole message with Piper in my hands. Okay. All right, hey, if you have a Bible with you, let me see it in the ayer. Let me see it. Let me see it, okay? This book right here, we talked about this last night, right? This is the single greatest story ever told. Hume, I love this place, and they're so stinking creative with gnomes and the, the Western, if you were with us this last summer, and over the years, just coming up with these amazing stories. But every time Hume comes up with one of these stories, they're referencing this story, Right, Genesis through Revelation, we talked about this last night, 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a 1,500 year span telling one single story. Right, so if you have this with you, cherish this. Right, Many of us, we have multiple copies of this, but if you're anything like me, right, sometimes we're guilty of leaving this thing dusty on the shelf or, or maybe playing like the Toy Story 8 ball, Right, just opening it up and going like, all right, what do you have for me today? Or writing a verse on our cleats going, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, as if that was written about touchdowns. Right, like We, this, we have to cherish this story. And so as we dive in this morning, open up with me to Jonah, chapter one, and we're going to recap a little bit, and then we're going to pick up um, where we left off last night. Hey, Jonah chapter one. Remember, right, this is not just a story about what happened. This is a story about what happens, okay? And I, I know it's early. I know it's like 25 degrees out there, right? Like this South American San Diego boy doesn't do the cold. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't jive well with me. I got in my truck this morning and there were icicles hanging off my truck and I was like, uh-uh. Like this is, this is, it just hits different up here, right? So we got to warm up a little bit. This, this book right here is not just a story about what happened. It's a story about what happens. Good. Okay. So Jonah chapter one, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He said, go to Nineveh and preach. Right? Three action words, which we can confidently know that the God of the Bible, that is a God that pursues, if he pursued back then, that means that he is pursuing now. now. Right? This is a God where his heart is for his purposes. And his purpose is always salvation. From the very beginning of this story, we see the God that he sets in motion this good news that he is a God that saves. He's a God that goes. He's a God that pursues. And we saw it today in the drama, even when, uh, when Jojo or when Jonah's trying to go the opposite direction. Remember homeboy's trying to go to Tijuana? Right? God said, go north. And he's like, got it, and goes south. He goes the opposite direction because he doesn't want to do what God has for him. He, he, he's angry towards the backyard gnomes. He's angry towards Nineveh. And, and, and not only the, the sin, the wickedness of Nineveh, that's not just the obvious part. The obvious part is Jonah's sin as well. And even in the midst of that, God continues to pursue. 
Right? Last night, we, we defined this concept of sin, that it's any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's fundamental design for our life, that he is creator, he is designer. In the beginning of time, when God spoke a word, right, creation happened. When he said, mountain range, you go there, it actually happened. When he said, tree, you grow there, land and water separate, right? the earth was spoken into existence by God. At the beginning of the space-time continuum, something had to be before that to set that into motion. And we read in scripture, and it's confirmed in science, that God is the creator, the author of all life. When, you, when you're walking in the woods and a cabin is there, when you're walking up to your, your room at night and you see a cabin there, you don't think to yourself, like, this must have been some crazy storm where these trees fell and it just, it just happened. No, creative design always means that there was a creative designer. We look at it and go, something had to happen here. Someone had to speak this into existence. And when we read in scripture, we can know and understand that that was God. But if God created and designed, then he also has a plan. But we asked this question last night, what if God's plan, what if his purposes, what if his heart, what if it was actually for you? What if the, the sin, the brokenness, the wickedness that's not just present in the world, but that's present in our life, what if it was actually keeping us from a good design, from a good designer? What if his ways were actually better than my ways? And it might not always seem like that, it might not always make sense to me, but what if, friends, what if there was a God who created, who always has been, who always will be, that maybe, just maybe, knew more about life than I do? More, knew more about life than you do? See, I love hotels. Anybody else with me? Anybody else like love a good hotel room? I, I'm a missionary kid, so I grew up like coming back to the U.S. all the time, and we would stay in hotels, and my, my dad would kind of go on tour to these different churches that supported us, but we always got to stay in hotels, and me being the youngest of four kids, we would always come up with these like fun games to play, and you, you just kind of like, you, you gotta create your own fun when you're on the road like that, or when you're in a hotel, or when you're bored, right? There's no such thing as boredom. There's only boring people, right? So when, when you're bored, you gotta just come up with a concept of going like, well, let's make up a game let's sit in this hallway and they always have the same like carpet in the hallways for whatever reason like I feel like all hotels have that like dingy designed carpet nope just the hotels I stay in okay that's fair that's fair and we would go and like I just love a hotel I love uh, I love the fact that you get like the the clean towels and the clean sheets and like I I love the continental breakfast like that waffle press that you turn over and it's just there's something about it and I was on a, a missions trip a handful of years ago down in the Dominican Republic and when we went down there we were checking into our hotel with our, um, our crew. I'm a youth pastor. And so as we're checking in, it was funny to me that the check-in process was almost like the same. It was different language, different country, different place, but it was like the same check-in process, right? You get up to the front and they're like, breakfast is from seven to eight 30. You know, here's your room keys. You know, there's a gym on the second floor and it's like, cool, won't be needing that. Right? Like we're chilling and they give you the whole hotel spiel. And then on our way out, they were like, Hey, by the way, this being the Dominican Republic, um, there's been a lot of civil war in the Dominican Republic. Just a heads up, behind the hotel, there's a field back there, and uh, I, I would just maybe stay out of the field, or if you're in the field, just be careful, because there's a bunch of landmines there. Anyways, enjoy your stay. Um, you know, you guys would be great. And I was like, sorry, um, just <laughs> quick detail, one quick thing, right? Me being the leader and all, like I just wanna make sure, did you say landmines? 
And they're like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, that's right. Anyways, enjoy the waffles. And I'm like, no, 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 like waffles and landmines should never be in the same sentence. Like those are two things that just, those don't go well together. And and, and so like me being the responsible youth pastor that I am, right, like the youth pastors in this room, like youth pastors, you don't want to make the call back home when you're in another country like um, Mrs. Wilson, you know Timmy? You know how we used to have two legs? Um, he doesn't need both of those, right? Like, like that's not the call you want to make when you come up to a camp or when you go on a missions trip. Like, you, you want to bring back all limbs when you go on a missions trip and then you come home. And so for me and my crew, I was like, yo, like the field behind the hotel, you know how they said be careful? That's like off limits. <laughs> like, we're not going in the landmine field. But friends, wouldn't it have been this easy, right? Like, we got modern technology. You got like landmine sweeping stuff, right? I don't know the terms, but it's gotta exist. Like, wouldn't it have been this, this easy to go out and be like, beep, 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 okay, cone, 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 death right here, right? Scan, 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 beep, 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 okay, awesome. Cone, 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 death right here. Like, all you'd have to do is find the landmines, cone them off, and then the rest of it's like ultimate Frisbee, right? Like, let's go, like, let's, let's do whatever we wanna do as long as we know where certain death is. And friends, when we start reading and understanding God's word, when we dive into this book, we start to see and understand that what if the God of the Bible, what if his heart was for his purposes and his purpose was for salvation and that anytime he tells you to do something or to not do something, that anytime his word says live this way or don't live this way, it's because whatever he's saying don't do leads to certain death. Right? We ended here last night. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Romans 3.10 puts it this way. There is no one perfect, not even one. There is no one righteous, right? That word is it's just a big churchy word that means right with God. There's no one right with God because we have all sinned, right? Romans 6.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, right? It, it, it's just, it, it's this, or sorry, Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Youth pastors in the room are like, nope, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. It's, it's the landmines going, if you run down this path, if you go towards this, it will lead to death. It, it, it's not going to end well for you. And it might feel good now. It might be fun in the short term. But friends, God's heart is for your ultimate joy. God's heart is for you to live life and life abundant. And no human being has ever walked this earth and been successful enough. They've never made enough money. They've never had enough success in a sport. They've never had enough success in the business place. They've never had enough sex. They've never found their fulfillment in a marriage or in a relationship or in having kids or in having a bigger house. All of those things, they're good things, but they were never meant to be God things. They're good, they can be good gifts, but they were never meant to ultimately fulfill or ultimately satisfy. One of the most shocking interviews I've ever watched um, online is a, was a YouTube interview, it was a 60 minute interview with a guy named Tom Brady. Y'all know Tom Brady, right? Like hands down, the greatest of all time, the GOAT quarterback, like you might hate him, you might love him, but like there's no denying anymore. Like homie left the Patriots and is like, I'll just start again with the Bucks. And you're like, good luck, Tom. 
okay, well, he won a Super Bowl, right? Like, you're like, well done. Like, th- this dude is, he, he's hands down the goat. But I remember watching a, a, an interview with Tom Brady where after he had won his third or fourth Super Bowl, and they're sitting down with Tom, and they're going, Tom, like, what's it like, man? Like, you're kind of at the pinnacle. You're kind of at the, the tippy top of America's sport, right? Like, there's, there's not a bigger sport in America than football, and there's no one more successful than Tom Brady. And they're like, what's it like? Like, multiple MVPs, you're married to Giselle, like, one of the world's most successful supermodels who at the time was making double what Tom was. So it's like, you got the two kids, you got the success, you got the story, you got the fame, you got everything. And in this interview, I kid you not, in this interview, he said, the, the interviewer goes, Tom, what's it like? And he goes, God, there's got to be more than this. And I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, oh, wait, did he just say there's got to be more than this? Like, I, I literally wrote, I dragged the little, like, red dot on YouTube back, and I went, and he's like, God, there's got to be more than this. God, there's got to be more than this. I was like, huh? How? Like, you and I, what could we possibly be chasing more than he already has? What if? What if it it, it wasn't, it wasn't here? Whatever we're looking for, whatever we're chasing after to fill the God-sized hole in our heart, what if it didn't exist here on planet Earth? One of my favorite theologians, a guy named C.S. Lewis, you guys know the Chronicles of Narnia, right? He he wrote those, and he wrote a bunch of other books too, but one of my, he, he said this, he said, if we find in our heart that nothing on this earth satisfies. Maybe it's because we were made for somewhere else. And as we cracked open this story last night, we see not just the Ninevites, not just these backyard gnomes, but Jonah himself is starting to come face to face with his sin. These thoughts, words, actions, attitudes that go against God's design, and they're starting to see this chasm that exists between them and God. I mean, as they find themselves in the middle of the storm, I love this part in the story. If you're in Jonah chapter one, um, read with me verse uh, eight. Okay, get this. You ever been peppered with so many questions in a row that you don't have any time to answer them? That ever happened to you? Your parents are like, you get home. They're like, where have you been? What were you doing? Who were you with, right? Why do you smell like that? And you're like, which one of those do you want me to answer, right? Like, calm down, right? Never say calm down to your parents. It's not gonna go well, I promise, okay? (laughs) Chapter one, verse eight. So they asked him, right? This is the other people in the boat asking Jonah, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? (laughs) It's like Jonah's just being peppered with all of these questions. And then he says this in verse nine. He said, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. Hey, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. Hey, notice this in your Bible. This is something you need to know. Look up at me real quick. Okay? In your Bible, and you're going to see it multiple times in Jonah, when you see capital L-O-R-D, that's intentional. Hey, it wasn't just like the writers of the Bible like accidentally hitting caps lock, and then they're like, whoops, and turn that off, right? Like capital L-O-R-D means something. Hey, when he says, I am the, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, right? this is a throwback to Exodus chapter 34, and don't turn there, but for just for the sake of time, in Exodus chapter 34, the Exodus story is one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible because the God of the universe is gonna flex 
on the superpower at the time, the Egyptian empire. And he's gonna go to his people, the Israelites, and he's gonna say, I am your God and you are my people. And there's this crazy foreshadowing as God brings his people out of the land of Egypt into a promised land, right? When you start understanding that the Bible is not just a story about what happened, the Bible is a story about what happens, when you read the Exodus, you're starting to pick up on these themes that the God of the Bible is bringing his people out of slavery, out of brokenness, and he's bringing them out into the wilderness, into the promised land, and you start picking up on themes of scripture going, I see what's happening here. I'm starting to understand the overall narrative. And in Exodus chapter 34, the God of the Bible says, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what I'm like. And he says, I have a name. You ever thought about that before? Like, if you're anything like me and you grew up in church, or you grew up around church, or you've heard of Christianity before, or you, you hear this word God, he kind of just seems like this, like, out there God. And maybe you've sinned, right? Like, if it, it, you and I would both agree, like, sure, there's thoughts, words, actions, or attitudes that I do, right? If I was able to, like, hook you up to some sort of machine that just, like, projected all of your thoughts, all of your words, all, everything you've ever done, right? And, and all of the, the attitudes that you've had, like, let's just narrow it down over the last two weeks. None of us would be like, ooh, pick me, right? Like, none of us would project that up there. So you and I can both kind of agree, like, okay, for sure I've sinned. I've, I've, I, there's, there's sin present in my life. But friends, maybe we don't go as far as to say that we've sinned against God. Remember verse two of chapter one? The wickedness of Nineveh, he, well, God says, preach against their wickedness because their wickedness has come up against me. That their sin wasn't just like out there, that God says that this is cosmic treason. It's coming against me and I have a name. In Exodus 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord, my name is Yahweh. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving the wickedness and the rebellion and the sin of a thousand generations. God says, this is who I am. This is my name. This is what I'm like. And so when, when the people in the boat here, when they're struck with fear, they understand, they know who this Hebrew God is. They know who this Yahweh is because they've heard the stories. Right? Generations ago, they've understood that there was this Pharaoh, there was this Egyptian empire, the, the, the superpower at the time on planet Earth was Egypt, and God comes face to face with that power and rescues his people out of it. Exodus chapter three, at the beginning of that story, maybe you've heard a story about the burning bush before, where a guy named Moses at 40 years old commits murder and doesn't really know who this God is. It goes out into the desert and spends another 40 years tending to sheep and at 80 years old would meet God for the very first time. So if you're 17 in here and you feel like you're far behind, Moses was 80 before he met God, 80. And at 80 years old, he would come into the presence of God and God would speak to him. Why? Because God is a God that pursues. God is a God that accomplishes his purposes. And he speaks to him and says, Moses, go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you to preach this good news. What good news? That God is a God that saves. That he is a God that redeems, that buys back, that restores. We see this same God pop up in Deuteronomy chapter five where before God gives the 10 commandments, you ever heard of those before? 
right? Maybe your grandma has them on like something like stitched in a frame in your room or, or in like in her room or in like the entryway in your room. That'd be weird, right? But like, like maybe you've seen those 10 commandments. Maybe your church has them up somewhere. Right? And again, remember my story. Last night I told you a little bit about it. I grew up thinking that Christianity was just a bunch of rules, kind of just this boring life that said get heaven at the end. And so when I heard 10 commandments, it was almost this like eye roll of like, I, I have enough rules in my life, why would I add to them? But friends, you know, it wasn't until I actually looked at Deuteronomy chapter five and that before God gives any of the 10 commandments, you know what he says? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, into my promised land. And then he gives him the 10 commandments. You wanna know why? Because he's going, cone, 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 landmine. Cone, 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 landmine. Let me give you 10 things to say, if you avoid these things, trust me, it's gonna go better for you in life. And it might not feel like it in the short term, it might not make sense right here, right now, but God is a God, the author and creator of life. He says, I knit you together. I know the amount of hairs that you have on your head. Do you think that I might know better on how to live your life? Isaiah chapter six, the, there's this prophet Isaiah, he comes before God in Isaiah chapter six, and in this awesome throne room scene, right, he enters into the picture and he falls flat on his face immediately. Why? Because no one has ever come face to face with the living God of the universe and just been like, sup, right? Jesus is not your homeboy. God is not a God to be trifled with. This God, he, when, when anybody comes into his presence, in Isaiah chapter six, it says that Isaiah falls flat on his face and that there's these creatures, these six-winged creatures called seraphim. And with two wings, they're covering their eyes because they can't even look at him. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And with two wings, they're flying. And then they're just chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Revelation chapter four, we get a similar picture of who this God is. And it says there's these four beasts. It says that one has the appearance of a lion, one of them an ox, one of them a man, one of them an eagle, and that they're chanting something similar, holy, holy, holy. Anytime your Bible says something three times in a row, it's like holiness to the upteenth degree. It's there is nothing more holy. When something's repeated three times, it's not just, okay, he's holy. It's that he's holier than anything has ever been holy. And that word holy, again, big churchy word that just means set apart. He's so other than. I mean, why do I give you all of this? Why do we, why do we walk through scripture to understand friends? It's because if you and I aren't careful, it's really easy to take the gap between God and me and kind of shrink it. And like I said last night, to believe I'm not really that bad. And he's really not that good. And how can I believe that I'm really not that bad? Because it's easy for me to compare people around me. But when we dive into scripture and understand who this God is, we start picking up on the fact that he is so other than he, he, he is so almighty, he is so set apart, he is so holy that it starts becoming obvious that I am not. And verses like Romans chapter three, verse 10 that say there is no one perfect, not even one. There is no one right with God, not one. Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned. We start kind of going like, yeah. 
Any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's plan? You ever had a thought that you went, like you kind of like scared yourself a little bit? Like you think something and you start dwelling on that thought and then you go down on like, maybe it's like somebody that you just like absolutely don't like and you start like dwelling on these thoughts and you go down this road and then like all of a sudden you're like shaking and you're like, whoa, glad no one saw that, <laughs> right? Like gl- glad no one could hear those thoughts. Right? Scripture challenges to take every thought captive. Right? Matthew chapter five, Jesus starts dwelling on these thoughts and our thought life. And he goes, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say, if you are angry against your brother and sister, you've already committed murder against them in your heart. And you start to understand, man, God is so other than, and I am broken. And then the Ninevites, the backyard gnomes, the people that maybe you and I look at and go, God could never save them. You almost start aligning yourself with them and understanding that you are so broken, that your sin is so great and he is so other than, that you start asking the question, man, like, what, what could I possibly do? How, what, what, what is left for me to do but to cry out? And this is what we see in Jonah chapter two. We start to understand that when Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, and they're terrified, and then they toss him overboard, and then God saves him, not in the way that he thinks he's gonna be saved, but through a trash can, or through a great fish, as the Hebrew text says, a whale. And we see this conversation happen between God and Jonah, and I just wanna emphasize one verse before we close here. In Jonah chapter two, verse eight, says this, right? This is in Jonah's conversation with God. It says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. What a powerful verse. Jonah's finally wrapping his head around the fact that he is is an idol worshiper. He's understanding that there are these idols in his life that he clings to. We kind of saw it in the video up here that as he's laying in the belly of the whale or as he's sitting in the trash can, like that's not a place of pride. Like there is not a more humble place than just like chilling out in the belly of a whale. Right? And you're just like, okay. I've kind of come to the end of myself. Right? Like, like it's, there's not a lot of like flexing that can happen when you're in the belly of a whale. Right? You smell like stomach acid. Right? And you're just sitting there like, hey God, here I am. He says, God, I've, I've been clinging to worthless idols and because I'm clinging to these worthless idols, I have kept myself from your love. I've turned away from your love because I've clinged to these idols. And now friends, please hear me loud and clear, okay? Wait, I, I don't assume, like if you invited me over to your house, like if you were just like, hey, Austin, like come over after camp, like cruise, cruise down to my place and, and, and I walked into your entryway, like my assumption would be that I wouldn't walk into your house and there would be some like part of your house with like incense burning and some like wooden creatures and you'd be like, oh yeah, those are our idols. Anyways, like over onto our dining room, like this is our kitchen over here and I'm like, oh, wait, sorry, like, do you say idols? And you're like, yeah, yeah, like it, we just worship them. It's not a big deal or anything, right? Like my assumption is that wouldn't be the case. 
Like there, there probably wouldn't be some sort of like statue or like creature in your house that you'd be like, this is, this is who my family worships. And yet a lot of us, that's what we think about when we think about idols. I mean, we, we think about some like physical creature, some statue, but friends, our hearts are idol factories. All day, every day, they just pump out idols. We look for things to worship. The question is not if you will worship, it's who or what you will worship. You are a worshiper. And anything that captures your attention, anything that you spend the most amount of time or money that gets your attention all day, every day, like the thing that you're chasing after more than anything else in life, it, it could be success, it could be grades. It could be that guy, and if I could only just get that guy, if we could only get married, if we could only have the kid, if we could only get the golden retriever and the house and the white picket fence, it could be the American dream. It could be a sport. It could be popularity. It could be the amount of followers you have on TikTok or the views that you get and the dopamine hits that you get when you go, I feel good about myself at least for a little bit. These are all idols. They're all things we struggle with. They're all things that I struggle with. When I want to be important, I want to be significant, I want to be known, I want to be seen, and yet we have to come to the end of ourselves like Jonah did and understand, God, man, those who cling to worthless idols, I turn away from the love of God. God's heart is for his purposes and his purpose will always be salvation. It will always be reconciliation, to restore a relationship, to buy back. Because the same God in Isaiah chapter six, who is holy, 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 in Revelation chapter four, in Exodus 34, that is the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and slow to, to anger, he's merciful. That God, who is so perfect and we who are so not perfect, his purpose is to bring us back together. But if we spend our lives clinging to the idols in our life, we miss out on the love that he has for us. And friends, I just wanna close with this. The fact that God's move and his purpose is for salvation, that's good news, it's not good advice. You know what makes Christianity different? You know what makes the Bible different? This is not just a religious ideology. It's not like a philosophy of life. Your youth pastors that are up here, your counselors that are up here, you wanna know why they're up here on this mountain? They're not here because they need more high school friends. I promise you, right? Like your leaders that were here, your leaders that like hopped on a bus that drove up here that, that took time off of work, that maybe some of them left their own families, their own kids, they weren't like, you know what I need more? Just 15 year old friends. I promise you that's not why they're here. They, they, like, they might make friends in the process, hey, but, but they're not going like, you know what? I just need a few more 16. Like that's just weird, right? Like that's not a thing. They're here because of the good news of the Bible that has changed everything about their life. Friends, this is not just good advice. It's good news. It's not a religious ideology or a philosophy of life. Christianity is based in a historical moment. The Bible's not just a story about what happened, it's a story about what happens, and here's the reality, here's the truth. Okay? We're gonna talk about this more tonight. But the reality is that the, the, this entire story is about Jesus. 
And that Jesus, he is the son of God that came and lived the life that I couldn't live, a perfect life. And then he died the death that I deserve to die. Remember Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. He died the death that I deserve so that I might live the life that he deserved. And then when he resurrected from the grave, when he proved that he could make dead things alive by raising himself, right? That moment is an actual historical moment, right? Here's the truth. If you find the bones of Jesus, you disprove Christianity. It's not a philosophy of life. It's not just good advice. It's not your youth pastor going like, yeah, but like if you just stopped having sex or if you stopped doing drugs or if you don't lie and you don't steal and you don't cheat, then things might go better for you. Friends, do you know that God saved Jonah by putting him in the belly of the whale? Do you think things got better for him? No, they got worse. God's pursuit of Jonah looks like a storm and getting swallowed by a whale. <laughs> like, that wasn't money in his bank account. It's not like, hey, follow God and you'll be rich and successful and everything will go well for you. The only problem with that is guys like Jonah. Where God's salvation, God's pursuit of him looked like a storm that like hardened guys who like spent their life on boats were terrified because of that storm and that's how God saved him. Things got worse before they got better. Friends, God, God is never the author of the brokenness and pain in your life, but he also refuses to waste it. He will use it for his own purpose. But this isn't just good advice. It's not just a philosophy of life and your leaders and your youth pastors and your counselors, they're not here just going like, hey, just, if you just try harder, and you live a little bit better of a life? No, they're going, this is the good news that God is always for his purpose and his purpose is always salvation. Legitimately, if you disprove the resurrection, your youth pastors and I, we quit tomorrow. You go, I, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna make a lot more money doing something else. And I'm gonna, if this is all there is, the next 40, 50, 60 years, I'm gonna buy a bigger house, I'm gonna make more money, I'm gonna be as comfortable as possible. Because if Tom Brady says, God, there's gotta be more than this, what chance do I have at being happy? But if this is all there is, this is all there is. So friends, the resurrection of Jesus, the person of Jesus, God's heart being for his purpose and his purpose being salvation, it has to mean something. But we gotta recognize our own sin and our own brokenness and then recognize God and in his holiness and know that there's now this gap between us and it leaves us with the question, what now? I hope this stimulates some conversation throughout the course of the day. Grab a friend, grab a counselor, grab somebody and just ask a hard question, enter into conversation. I'm pumped to be back together tonight, but pray with me, okay? God, thanks for this, this story, God, this, the, the greatest story ever told. God, thank you that you have a name, that you're not just some being that's out there that looks down on us and wonders what's going on on earth. God, thank you that you are personal. God, thank you that you want to be known, that you pursue. God, I just ask boldly that in this chapel, 
God, the men and women sitting in this room, God, that you would, you would convict hearts where they need to be convicted. God, may we hear you, even if it's a gentle whisper. May we have a conversation that we need to have today, God. Maybe we need to confess something. God, but thank you for Jesus. Thank you that your heart is for your purpose and that your purpose is salvation. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.